0: You're listening to a special edition of the Uggs Mag podcast series, brought to you by the only underground hip-hop website that really gives a damn, uggsmag.com. Shout out to Noise319 for holding it down since forever, a tireless supporter and champion of good music, a heck of a designer and my old friend, so thank you, Noise. I'm your host, Troy Gronsdahl, aka SoSo, and I'm joined today by another old friend and collaborator, Maybe Smith. Recently, we spent some time reminiscing about our album, Tinfoil in the Windows, as we prepare for its first-ever vinyl pressing, available later this spring. I have to give a big heartfelt thanks to Scott DeRoss from Endemic Music for getting this off the ground, and to Audio Recon and Mism Records for partnering on this release. Over the next hour or so, you'll hear bits and pieces from my conversation with Maybe Smith, along with songs from the album and some of my favorite tracks from his discography. In addition to this podcast, we've put together a special Spotify playlist with some of the artists we were listening to at the time, and I think you'll hear some of the influences who helped give shape to our record. Of course, you can track me down on all the usual social media spots, and feel free to reach out if you're feeling this podcast. Maybe I will do another one. Here we go. Enjoy. Enjoy. So thank you, Maybe Smith, for joining me. I was hoping we could talk a little bit today about uh, the history of our, our collaboration uh, and maybe look at some of your uh, important albums uh, to sort of give some context to the work that we did together in anticipation of the re-release of uh, Tinfoil on the Windows.
1: Well, thanks for having me today. It's a treat to discuss Tinfoil on the Windows and and reminisce about its enormous impact on popular culture
0: when scott suggested that i uh preview the vinyl masters it was literally the first time i listened to it in a really long time and uh i put my headphones on i was going for a walk and like the opening sort of notes of rubber rings just sort of started washing over me and i really i like got totally welled up with emotion and listening to this record It's so bleak. The content, my like, the (laughs) lyrics are so bleak.
1: It's very bleak.
0: I almost feel like hurt for like the younger version of myself when I hear
1: this. It's bleak, but it's like some of the lyrical imagery has like always struck a chord with me. Um, uh, I mean, rubber rings is is an example of a song, yeah, that I was um, that I thought at the time was very special and I think um, and I think really encapsulated what um, this project was going to be because it was one of the first ones that we recorded and uh, I think it proved to me anyway that this was going to work mm. the lyric about the rubber rings actually is one that like always um the waiting for my father to come home line. There is something about that that just, uh, yeah, just really strikes strikes a raw chord. Um, and I mean, it's not even because I was in the same position. Um, like there was just something about that image that you created that I think was uh, really evocative
0: that line about the rubber rings is like my only memory of my paternal grandfather so I, I write a lot about my dad actually in this uh, album and also like subsequent albums And he was estranged from his own father and I remember going to meet him as a young like maybe I was six years old seven years old maybe like they're kind of a young child and um i don't remember anything about our encounter other than him sort of sitting quietly in the kitchen and i was playing this rubber ring toss game and i kind of coupled that with my own like saddest memory of my my own dad remember the names of all the trees being kind of a nice one it's kind of a a ballad almost
1: oh yeah and you you kind of sing in this really creaky voice right
0: (laughs) yeah so there's a layer of that kind of unfolding in the background and then i kind of like recite the lyrics in sort of that spoken word kind of way that i do
1: Yeah, I like that one because I appreciated that you were willing to just sing in this creaky voice on your own record. I've always appreciated um, musicians who do that. Uh, It wasn't put on or affected or anything. It was just, that's just how you were singing this song. That's as good as I Um, can sing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, that's like... That's, that makes it better. That makes it,
1: uh, it makes it easier for me. It, when I hear music like that, it makes it easier to connect with it
3: yeah.
1: emotionally. Um, when I hear someone's voice crack in a song, like I'm immediately drawn in closer.
0: Do you remember um, I had found like a, was it an electronic accordion at Valley Village?
1: Yeah, I still have that. I tried to sell it on Kijiji um, not too long ago, but the person never came to pick it up.
0: Dude, give it back to me.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure I asked you about selling it, and you said, sure. Uh, Yeah, you can have it back. It had a Dave Matthews Band sticker on it. What?
0: (laughs) That's funny. It had kind of an interesting kind of character, though.
1: Yeah, I used it on my own records after that because, yeah, we used it on... I think you showed it to me and then I took it home and used it on tinfoil on a few songs, I think. Yeah. Um, That one was tricky because it was a little out of tune, but Mm -hmm. like out of tune by a full quarter step. Mm -hmm. So you had to, in order for it to work in the song, you had to like pitch shift it down a little bit. Otherwise, it just sounded it wasn't like out of tune in a charming way. Um, And uh so it was, you had to do a little bit of fixing in post-production to make it work, but um, it had a lot of character.
0: Attempts to collaborate.
2: I remember being in your office and, uh, like, having my guitar there, and it being the. I I don't remember specifics, but I remember the first couple.
1: Attempts to be um, real failures. Yeah, me too. Now I don't know how you remember those, but um, I don't remember them being particularly successful. And we might have agreed to uh, go off and like work independently, and then bring it back together. Is that what happened?
0: That is precisely what. Because happened.
1: Because we still we didn't want to give up on we didn't want to give up on it. I think we still thought this this could work. And wanted to do it, but the way we tried to do it didn't work. And I think that's probably due to the fact that, and it's probably why I've never been in a band that just started as a band. Um, I I don't think I'm a great collaborator in terms of like jamming. Uh, you know, whenever someone would say, "Hey, do you want to come over and jam?" I would kind of
2: cringe at the idea because I like it, uh, and it's. Yeah, it's probably my ego problem or my need to
1: like be in complete control um, when it comes to music. But uh, I think that's why it didn't work for us when we just tried to sit down and like make up music together. Let's let's, and, let's because make you're a banger. probably a bit of the same way. Yeah, because you're you're probably the same way, um, where you want kind of to have control of the situation and. If you're going to, if you're going to sit down with other musicians and create something uh, that's special, you have to relinquish that control. And neither of us were prepared to do that in that way.
0: I think too, because because you're like a musician, uh, you know, you you're playing an instrument, and I was like producing music on with like sample-based music programming beats you we didn't even have a dynamic that would work with jamming you know what I mean it's not like I could play an instrument and you could play an instrument and we could like kind of screw around with uh, a melody and develop something it's like you know literally I'm working with pre-recorded material and like mining out little bits to, to make beats and stuff like that so yeah I think it became apparent right away that it wouldn't work but it's also like a situa. I'm in, I'm kind of similar to you. And like, I can't be put on the spot and be like, okay, make something cool. You know, you need to have that time to work privately, <laughs> to work through some ideas and develop something before you can like even share it in a collab, like in a first step of a collaboration. I feel
1: Def- definitely the, uh, the, constraints that we had in terms of instrumentation and that sort of thing were were a factor um but then yeah being put on the spot has never yeah never been good for me especially when other people are around um i i feel i think i feel embarrassed when i'm just like noodling around and figuring something out and i feel self-conscious when other people are there and so Um, it works a lot better when I'm by myself.
0: So we agreed then to like, okay, let's just share some ideas by email or, you know, trade tracks or lyrics or songs, bits. But what in the end, what happened is you produced this like amazing, beautiful, epic, sweeping soundtrack of an album. Um, so I'm really glad that I, uh, remove myself from that part of the collaborative process
1: well that's good to hear <laughs>
0: it never would have worked otherwise you know what i mean
1: no no it, it, it wouldn't have it was and it was fun to do and i remember the um i remember feeling really anxious um after i recorded some ideas and sent them off to you and feeling really anxious about how you would receive them because i was really uh excited about them and i can't even remember which songs they were it might have been rubber rings um it probably was and and maybe there was a couple others too but um i just really wanted you to like them because i didn't want you to give up on this project because i i wanted to yeah make a record with you and i was so nervous that like oh i've made this weird post-rock album and he's going to hate it but here's the mp3 what do you think (laughs) want to rap over it now so I think you deserve a lot of credit for um, uh, really relinquishing that control at the time I mean you really put a lot of faith in me at that time so I'm glad that it worked out We didn't throw it in the trash and uh, and throw our friendship in the trash. So that was good. The snow on the ground, my friends
4: are the best. You look really pretty in that wedding dress. And I will confess to having impure thoughts and making a mess. But I guess that's what I want. Mm, Your mom is in the next room. Well, not the to fuck too soon, and I may be too drunk to drive, but I'll
0: get us home alive. I'll get us home alive. So, um, yeah, it's coming out for the first time in vinyl. How crazy is that?
1: I'm excited to hear it on vinyl. I was, uh, for some reason, I actually thought it already was released on vinyl. And now um, hearing that this is the first time it will be is really exciting. I've never, none of my, none of my records were released on vinyl. Um, couldn't, uh, couldn't swing it at the time, but uh, so this is exciting. Um, it seems like the right format for
0: the long player, you know, the LP.
1: I think so. Yeah, you
0: just drop the needle and you can just let it let it go.
1: I think I think this record probably more so than any of my solo records is better suited to to vinyl, um, because uh, I think it's warmer sounding mm-hmm. than any of the stuff that I put out myself, which was always very. Heavy, heavily digitized, um, and I think actually lended itself just fine to the CD era, but tin foil is, is something that will definitely benefit from a vinyl experience, I think.
0: going to compliment you lots during the course of this conversation please do um i was just like really impressed with um sort of your your musicianship and your your ability your ability really and um because i always felt like a little bit of a fraud in hip-hop music even like claiming that i was a musician when you start like uh you start working with and performing with and kind of learning more about music. Um, I tended to sort of kind of, I was blown away by the things that were being made here. And, uh, yeah, I was always really impressed with both your like technical ability, but also, uh, the the music that you were making.
1: Well, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. I was, uh, I was, I'm, I might be complimenting you too. This might just be a uh, round, complimenting round table here. But um, uh, I remember seeing
2: you perform and being uh, pretty awestruck at, again, how you like commanded
1: a room, which at the time, you know, when you're doing these small local independent shows, um,
2: it's a, it can be a real challenge to uh, really take center stage that way.
1: And I think you had a really great ability to do so. Um, and, you, you know, you might think it's easier to do it in a small venue with a smaller number of people, and you think they're all paying close attention to what's going on, but that's not really the case all the time. And you still need a certain amount of, uh, um, you know, showmanship and um, gravitas in your in your live performance to have it kind of connect with with those audiences and um, who are who are often full of like people who are very critical of music. They love music, but they're critical. And um, so it's kind of like a mixed bag. Uh and I remember thinking, yeah, I want to be able to do stuff like that. I even stole some of your bits and tried to make them my own, but with lesser success because uh um
2: like you you would you would uh um give people cologne samples and I would hand
1: out stuffed animals. (laughs) That's how I that's how I tried to to impart this this the so-so showmanship into my sets which was uh I realized um soon after that I wasn't that it wasn't working and so I I ditched it.
0: Yeah it's sort of it was like a part art student performance art part self-deprecating humor part ironic hip-hop call-and-response and and then like uh just dead serious songs. (laughs) (laughs) Like painful I painful personal uh, exposure <laughs> in front of people.
1: And see, I like, I can't believe I was, but I was doing call and response at my shows too. And I can't believe I was doing that. <laughs> it's like so embarrassing to think about now. Like, I don't know who I was trying to be. Uh, and maybe it
2: was you, I don't know.
1: So um, when did
0: we start? collaborating together. I'm trying to think about that because um I remember um wanting to make my own live show like more textured and interesting and musical in a way um and uh I think I that's when I invited you to sort of accompany me um did, was it mostly built around that one kind of set of live shows for for Tenth Street and Clarence, do you, or do you remember? Did we do anything before that?
1: I think it started with Tenth Street and Clarence. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think it made for a much more like dynamic and rich experience as a viewer. Um, I remember going to Europe, and their hip hop uh, artists were like bringing out projection, and they'd have musicians and it was like so complex and like i remember just being like so impressed with the amount of effort they put into their live presentations and then feeling a bit like a bit sheepish about sort of the very stripped down kind of ways that we would do uh hip-hop performances in canada where you just like get a discman or an ipod and you're just like you know standing to say stage. where you just
1: press play on a discman and then rap over it yeah yeah, like how, did, how do you feel about the, how it worked out for your performances where I was involved, whether it was 10th Street and Clarence or after Tinfoil on the Windows? When you look back at that, do you think it was successful in terms of realizing your vision for what your live performance would be?
0: I felt like the stuff that we did when we was sort of interpreting my own material um, was effective, in the sense that it did kind of add that another kind of texture or dynamic to the, both like the live performance, but also like the sound. Um, at that time around tinfoil in the windows, you made, um, is that when second best death came out? Yeah. Yeah. That was the album that made me be like, Oh my God, like I should, I should try to make a record with Colin.
1: You know what I think of the records that I put out, it might be my favorite too. I wish I could, uh, remix it and remaster it drives me nuts to hear it now because of the mix um i was i was going through a phase that i think every white 20 year old dude goes through where they like start listening to old country records i should say 20 year old white dudes who grew up in a city <laughs> i should i should clarify that um You know, when when I, as a kid, when I, you know, grew up listening to like Weezer and Green Day and stuff, and then, you know, as an adult, you discover country music and like old country music and it's, it's eye opening. And, um, I was also at the time really keen on, I think, again, this is like a stereotype of, um, of, uh someone in their 20s, a white dude, but I got really into Spaghetti Western movies, and it's like, loved the atmosphere of those soundtracks, and, um, but then was also into, like, noisy, weird electronic music, and, um, like, pedal steel guitars, and I, I remember I just wanted to make, like, a weird electronic record with pedal steel guitars. Because I, as as far as I knew, I like I never found one that existed. I was like, I want to make the record that I want to listen to, and it's like a weird electronic album with pedal steel guitars with like country music melodies. Um, and so that's what I tried to do. And so the songs are kind of uh, they're over the top in terms of like the electronic. Uh, um, embellishments that I put in there and I, I never did find a pedal steel guitar player so I had to settle for a lap steel guitar which is not the same thing um, but uh, it's, it still worked out okay and um, but I I, I, th- I look back on that record and I still think it's my the I'm proudest of that one because I think it's the most unique and like it captures what I wanted to do as maybe Smith maybe more successfully than a lot of my other records, at least as a whole.
0: artists and this happens in hip hop as well but the more you play live the more you want to like give energy and uh, you kind of want to move that audience is that fair to say that that had some impact on sort of how your sound changed over the mid maybe smith to sort of later maybe smith
1: i i think that is accurate in describing the shift from second best death to animals and architects because animals and architects uh, like really just wanted to make uh record that was full of upbeat pop music that would be more fun to play live. At Second best south is death was my most serious album in tone, I suppose. And like the songs were were slower and um and more drawn out and uh, and after touring that I was just like I just want to make a fun album to play live. And so that yeah that is how that definitely informed animals and architects and another murder in the morning was the desire to make something that would be more fun to perform.
0: Listening to your um, your records this past week, uh, sort of in preparation for our conversation,
2: you your lyrical content kind of maintained its sort of uh,
0: I don't want to say sinister, but there was sort of like a a tension in the lyrics that you've always had, and I was like, here's here you are making this like really like fun music and you can you can you can take a you can write something about uh fucking in the kitchen which should be a really jubilant and joyful activity and the the music is very like fun and upbeat but it has like a this sort of uh really like tinge of kind of deep sadness in it at the same time which I I thought I really liked that uh that tension in, in your music, because it is, it ha- definitely has like kind of a pop kind of feel, but it's sort of retained this sort of like darkness that I associated maybe with second best death that it, I found so, so appealing. Um, do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: Oh, totally. Thanks for bringing up my most regrettable lyric, by the way. God, I least, love that. At least w- it's at least in the top three. I have a few lyrics that I just, wish i could go back and change but they're obviously cemented in history um it's so dark For that for the two people who will who haven't heard them already we will go back and discover them probably my daughters uh <laughs> um but yeah that was definitely a thing i was
2: i i i really struggled with lyrics i was um i tried really hard at
1: lyrics. And I don't know if I ever succeeded with them. They always kind of came last. I I would, you know, flesh out a song musically and flesh out the melody. And then I'd be like, Oh, I got to write some lyrics now. And, um, and it didn't help that, you know, I was obsessed at the time with like musicians, like um, uh, David Berman from the silver Jews and Bill Callahan who are just like Will Oldham who just write amazing lyrics with vivid imagery and who that are super clever and kind of darkly funny. That's was like, what I always loved was these like lyricists who are sort of darkly funny, but not in a way that you was like laugh out loud, funny, but just, uh, always had a hint of darkness to them and i liked the idea of mixing that with music that was you know upbeat While we were recording Tinfoil, I was also working on um, Animals and Architects, which was, yeah, my attempt to make, like, a wall of sound Phil Spector-esque pop record. Um, And uh, um, so that came out in 2007,
2: just like Tinfoil on the Windows did. Uh, And it was probably... I think it was my most successful record. You're um, getting lots uh, of play on like
1: CBC
0: and shit, right?
1: Yeah, the song "Bloody Nose" reached number one on CBC Radio Three for one week. So, mm-hmm. and and I think that record, and it was that record was nominated for a Western Canadian Music Award. Also, um, it's the only time I've had that happen. Uh, so, yeah, it was. That was a turning that record was a turning point for me in terms of like personal success with music in terms of reaching a slightly larger audience um, which was which was very gratifying
5: Taking pictures of a Those remind me of the times that we exchanged our breath.
0: Um, sort of continuously making music then in that roughly
2: 10 year period yeah I never really took a break um I put out pretty much a record a year and uh yeah I never I never never really stopped um it was just it was just what I did like I had
1: a day job and I made music And that's like, that was my life for 10 years.
2: So uh, another murder in the morning. Um, Do you kind of think of it as a continuation
0: of that kind of trajectory or there's also some dark moments on that one. That's a little, that's a harkens back maybe to second best death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the lyrical content of that one is, um, is darker. I liked the idea of writing songs
2: that uh, touched on topics like even, uh, yeah, like murder and sort of thing. Um,
1: But again, in the context of like pop music.
2: uh, And so lyrically, it's a little bit darker than Animals and Architects.
1: Musically, I wanted it to go in a slightly different direction than Animals and Architects, but I still wanted to make like a fun pop album. So I, I wasn't done making, in my attempt to make fun pop music, but I did want it to sound
2: different. Um, I wanted to explore different, um, uh, yeah, different instrumentation, different
1: vocal treatments, different, uh, yeah, kind of different everything. And um I, I think it's the best sounding record I ever put out. Another murder in the
5: morning to start the day And I'm coming to life like a dog
0: talking about uh, sort of the uh, the reception of your album Animals and Architects and how you're starting to get a bit of traction with like uh, College Radio and CBC Radio 3 and um, performing more touring. Um, What was the reception for this album like and sort of where were you in terms of your uh, your thinking around uh, music as a career?
1: Yeah, I I never really considered music to be a career endeavor. Um, I never wanted it to be, at least. I never um, wanted to pursue it for any type of financial gain. And the reception of Another Murder in the Morning was, was pretty good. I think it wasn't as well received as Animals and Architects, although there were one or two songs on there that um, probably got more airplay than anything on animals and architects. So um, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think it was the first album I put out where there was, at least in the small circles where my music was heard, there was like some anticipation around it. So and I don't know how that affected things, if at all, it might have, I'm not sure.
0: If there's a song on this album, I guess, that epitomizes this uh, record for you, which one
2: would it be? Yeah, I think it's the first song, Um, More Blood Than Sleep. That one wasn't
1: a single. Uh, The song that got the most attention was He Would Never Survive the Winters in This Province. Um, I think because CBC just loved the title. And (laughs) so whenever there's like a really cold day, they would turn, like anywhere in the country, they would turn to that song and like, like it would play on as it happens when they talk to some story about like cold weather. Um, but, um, but the song that I think really, yeah, most epitomizes that album and that I think I'm most proud of is the first one.
2: It's an album I'm pretty proud of uh, but I have, I have a hard time talking about it for some reason um, did you tour that record is that your last
1: record yeah I toured that one um, and it was good because I the band that I had put together for Animals and Architects um, I still uh, had on the go for another murder in the morning. So there was like a nice seamless transition there. Um, they had stuck with me, which was awesome. Um, and they, they were excited to learn these new songs and perform them. And,
2: um, we toured it, but I probably, I think I toured that one less. I think I was starting to become a little, uh, Unfulfilled by um, live performance and touring, and so I started saying no to a lot of like uh, invitations to play shows or what have you uh, because I was it was becoming less and less appealing to me yeah it's uh
0: it can be a bit of a grind, hey?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it's just like an age thing. I think I started feeling silly being on stage in a way. So I don't know if that's the biggest reason why or it might have been, as I mentioned before, the like never being truly
2: satisfied that I am like translating uh, the music in the right way from record to live performance. Are you, are you interested in making music at all anymore? I am interested in the idea of it, but I think I have
1: resigned to the fact that I can't do it anymore. Not because like there's anything preventing me from doing it, but like, I think I just like, don't have it in me. I think the creative energy that's required and it's sort of like a sad thing to admit. And it took me a lot of time to sort of come to terms with it.
2: Um, But I, I don't think I could do it and create something that I was um, proud enough to share with the world anymore. Like at the time I would put out records and be like, excited to share share them with anyone who would listen to it you know um i don't think like these days i yeah i I just feel differently about that
0: you'd be in more of like the chinese democracy kind of (laughs) like
1: i guess so uh and like i've i've recorded music since another murder in the morning it's never seen the light of day and i hope it I mean, I don't plan on it ever seeing the light of day um, because it doesn't really pass my smell test for what I think is good. Um,
2: And so, yeah, I think I've just sort of, I have a different relationship to music now.
0: I was wondering if uh, you ever considered making kids music because I think Butt Full of Poop was the uh, hit. (laughs)
1: Well, I did record a children's song in Dawson City, Yukon, with some grade three students once. That was a lot of fun. But uh, you know what? My wife has told me I should make kids music too and start a YouTube channel of kids music because, um, yeah, she thinks butt full of poop would, uh, would blow up big too. It would hit. Yeah. Kids love that shit.
0: <laughs> Definitely. So if you want to collaborate on a kid's album, I guess, let me know.
1: <laughs> the, great. The bleakest, most overproduced kid's album of all time.
0: Mm. <laughs> we could do two versions.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, okay, thanks for the talk. Thanks, Troy.
4: chairs and I won't be embarrassed I love my parents I'm comfortable being a man and I take pride in my appearance and and clearly I'm under the influence and too drunk to drive I don't need saving I know that local hero shit is whack but that pretty much goes without saying I've indulged every craving, divulged every dirty detail, told secrets, made promises that I knew I couldn't keep, and I've abused confidences, exhausted all second chances, frittered away like a petty cash advance, and I'm spent, morally bankrupt and barely making the rent, how bent on killing myself slowly with these poisons I ingest solely for the purpose of helping me forget, and I will forget. in the morning 20 years from now I will not look
5: back on this moment reminisce fondly I won't remember this in the morning 20 years from now I
4: will not look back on this moment reminisce fondly